Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. You're, uh, gosh, that's a big deal, man. That's a, that's a milestone. And uh, thank you so much for that. We're going to um, jump into a sermon series. And uh, there's only a few topics in the church that are kind of taboo to talk about. Uh, one might be telling you who to vote for. We don't do that. Uh, two is kind of telling you what to do with your money or uh, talking about sex. Uh, but today we're going to talk about parenting. And parenting actually is one of those taboo subjects. Like, don't tell me how to... So I'm not going to do that. I'm actually uh, going to help us unpack uh, a bigger picture of what is the goal of parenting. That actually is uh, a question for all of us to think about, whether we're parents, grandparents, going to be parents. I heard a parenting sermon when I was in college that really shaped and impacted the way I thought about how to uh, become a parent that's discipling my kids, mentoring my kids, and helping them to become and grow up all that God wants uh, to become. But it is taboo. But parenting is hard, isn't it? If you, In fact, I feel like, I don't know if Dave and Jill Wolf are here. They, they should be doing this talk today. They got like five kids. They got their own youth group that are all grown and uh, amazing. But parenting is humbling, and it's hard, and... Uh, we have our own strong opinions. You ever see somebody parenting their kid and you're like, dude, they're blowing it. Dude, they're, they're hurting that kid. They're, and our judgments kind of creep up on us, right? Uh, but we're just going to jump into this this morning. And I'm going to start with a story that's going to make you uncomfortable. And I'm going to share it because it made my wife and I really uncomfortable. It was about 20 years ago. I was invited to do a memorial service down in Malibu Canyon. A two-year-old uh, was killed in a drunk driving accident. And after the memorial service, there was a reception. And there was a seven-year-old, maybe eight-year-old boy that was sitting with his mother on her lap, breastfeeding. It was weird. <laughs> it was creepy. It was like, what? This seems, right? Is it just me and my wife? Or is that kind of like, yeah, that's probably not healthy at that point. Am I off track here? Right? How does that happen? It was right there in front of us. I was almost like ready to call Child Protective Services. I mean, it was like, what is happening right now? That is not healthy. We are raised to grow up, to become independent, not dependent on our parents. There's a little passage in Scripture. Psalm 131, verse 2. Actually, I, I, I think it was in chapter 19 or 20, Lori, of your book. You wrote about it. Uh, this verse, 
And I loved your insights. Here's, here's what she wrote, or here's, here's what the psalmist wrote, not what Lori wrote. I have, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. A weaned child. That's the design for all of us. Weaning is one of the first struggles that a person, all of us, encounter in life. And before weaning, a baby cries, right, to have its desires met, and mom is there to meet those desires. But then there's this kind of new trust in mom that develops when a child is weaned, and the reward is great. Like, that is the way it's supposed to be, right? And so when you see a picture of something different, you go, whoa, that, that's not healthy. What is God's dream for us as parents? My friend Kurt Holm, who has spoken on this stage before, he shared with me a quote that guided his parenting that I thought was just great. It says this, as parents, our job is to prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. Think about that. Just sit in that. Prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. And there's been a shift in our culture today where parents are running ahead of the child and preparing the road. There's holes out there. I got to fill them. There's a ditch over here. I got to make sure that he or she never falls into that. There's a little Tripwire, I got to make sure that my kid never experiences failure. Skin knees, we're never going to have skin knees ever again. And so there's this shift of protection, right? Over parenting is what it's called. And we live in this era of micromanaging parents. I know it's none of you in the audience, but it's, it's out there somewhere, right? Here's the two big words that are being used today. You've heard them, but let me just review them. Helicopter parents and snowplow parents. A helicopter parents shield their kids from failure and pain. They hover, and they micromanage out of fear and love, but they control every morsel that enters their child's body. They monitor their every move. They keep a close eye on every homework assignment. They hold their hands and they hover because they're anxious about this evil, big world that our kids are growing up in. And of course, no one admits to being a helicopter parent. But here's what the research, I've been reading uh, several books the last few weeks preparing. But here's what the research says. Kids that grow up in, in helicopter parent homes, they grow up to be less resilient less resourceful, with an inability to persevere, an inability to handle setbacks, solve problems, or challenges because mom and dad are doing it for them. Snowplow parents have become famous just in the last few months with the whole college entrance scandal, but here's the definition. Parents who constantly remove obstacles out of their kid's path. The parents have their eye on the future success of their child and anyone or anything that stands in their way has to be removed. They prepare the road for the child. 
It's like if my special snowflake doesn't win the science award, then the school will hear from me. And of course, this comes from a place of love, but it also comes from a place of selfishness and status obsession. So uh, there's a book that uh, several friends recommended to me. It points to the shift. It's called How to Raise an Adult. Uh, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap, Prepare Your Kids for Success. The woman who wrote this, She uh, served as dean of freshman and undergraduate advising at Stanford and won several awards. But there's a quote in here I want to read for us that just kind of points to this. It's from Dr. Tim Walden, who's superintendent of a school district in Massachusetts. He says, I've been a school administrator since 1998, have had to call a lot of parents with bad news. I might say something like this, your kid has been cutting, skipping classes. We found him out on Route 1 at the Burger King. And as a result, here's the consequence. And in 1998, most of the time I would call home and get a supportive response like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. We want to work with you and with the school to make this right. But nowadays when I call home, I hear the parent go through a process of questioning my authority and my judgment. Why are you doing this, Dr. Walden? You are wrong. And that's the shift that's happening. My wife's an educator, and during parent conferences, she would say this, it, it's just a, a, a very noticeable shift that's happening in, in parenting today. The teacher's wrong, not the kid anymore. The kid's always right. And um, is, that a, is there a problem with that, you think, maybe? Yeah. Thank you. There's a, there's a mission book that was very popular about 10 years ago. It's a great book. It's called When Helping Hurts. I think that could be the title of a parenting book, When Helping Hurts. Is it possible that that... Helping your kid could actually hurt them. Raise your hand if you think that's true. If helping your kid too much could actually hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's the question. I'm I'm just going to, I got a couple minutes here. Uh, What is the goal? How do we prepare our kids for success? Here's your question. How do you define success? What is a successful kid becoming an adult? What kind of kid are we trying to raise? Career? or character, what they do, or who they become. Fire up that slide that I, uh, I saw from Time Magazine. Just came across my cell phone this week. This is like the hot new book. And here's the headline. I raised two CEOs and a doctor. These are my secrets to parenting successful children. And you read that and you go, oh my gosh, I got to get that book. I want my kid to be a CEO or a doctor? Is it possible to be a CEO and be a jerk, to be a lousy human being, to be a person who treats others with a mean spirit? Can you be a, a, a lawyer, a doctor, a business person that is, quote, successful, but fail at relationships, at love, 
at being generous, at being forgiving, of having life skill, is it? And so the question we have to ask, especially here in Santa Barbara, what's the goal? What are we aiming for? Is it we're getting our kids on that career track? Or is it about Christ-like character? Is it about character development? That our dream is for our kids to grow up and walk in God's ways, that they would grow up and become generous, forgiving, kind, dependable, reliable, non-judgy, compassionate human beings who don't demand their own way, who aren't entitled, but who are willing to serve and sacrifice for others? I don't know. You got to answer that question. I got to answer that question. Here's what I do know. Character development doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't happen by parents rescuing and removing challenges from our kids. It happens through hardship. It happens through hardship. Listen to this scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read this, and it's really about our relationship with our heavenly Father, but the writer of Hebrews, kind of reading between the lines, makes some, there's some nuance in this passage that gives us a peek into parenting. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children? And that God regards you as his children. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble that you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children, trouble, training, hardship, the normal experience of children. Did you catch that? Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. Did you catch that? So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. If we want our kids to turn out differently, we have to raise them differently. And it means that there are times we go through that our kids aren't going to like us when we let them experience hardship and challenge and pain and we don't rescue them and we don't prepare the road ahead of them. We prepare that child for what's going to happen so when they have a teacher that they don't like, we don't just switch classes every year. Because then when they become adults, they just switch jobs when they have a boss they don't like. And we're trained. All those little choices prepare a child for the road that's ahead. 
I have a dear friend who's going to share the platform with me. I'm done. His name is Bruce Kirkpatrick. Bruce is part of our church. He's a dad. He's a grandparent. And uh, he's an author. He's got two books that uh, I said, let me, let me just tell them that you, you got two books. They're out at the lemonade stand if you want to buy one of the books this morning. Bruce, are you back there? Come on up here. Let's welcome Bruce Kirkpatrick. I told Bruce, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of launch into this, but I want you to jump into and, and take us further. So you're on. Good. Thanks. Good morning. Good to be with you. Each book I write has a theme that's woven through it. It's either a major theme or a minor theme, and here it is. Discovering God's purpose for your life. Discovering God's purpose for your life. Because I think if you do that, if you discover it and you actually put that into action, that's your sweet spot. Okay, that's when you can be most happy. So I, I want to read this, um, this scripture from Ephesians. I think we got it up there. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now I want you to read that slowly again and silently. You can even close your eyes. And I'm going to put that into my own voice. Okay, you ready? You are custom-made, unique, built by the very hands of the God of the universe, designed using the perfect human template, Jesus Christ. You've got his DNA in your bones to do God's good work in the world, to do God's good work in the world. So you're not your handiwork. You're not your project. You're God's project. So what's that, how does that relate to parenting? Okay, I've got two maybe statements for you to consider. Maybe your children aren't your project. Maybe they're God's project. Maybe your children aren't your project. Maybe they're God's project. Maybe your job is to help them discover their role in the world that God designs for them, not in the world, not in the one you design. Maybe your job is to help them discover their role in the world God designs for them, not the one you design. See the shift in thinking there from paving the road to preparing the child? So I wish I'd learned that a little bit earlier in life. I came to Christ when I was almost 42 years old. My wife Nancy and I came at the same time, same Sunday, April 1993. I was almost 42 and Nancy was... Quite a bit younger than that. <laughs> Did I get that right, hon? Was that the way I was supposed to say it? Good. But our kids had been, had been born and were in school already, so we made mistakes. John asked me to share a mistake that I made of paving the road instead of preparing the child. So we knew early on with my son, maybe 10 or 12, that he was a gifted athlete. He had a a competitive fire inside him and athleticism that was pretty unusual for a kid his age. So the year before he entered high school, we moved to a, a new home and a new community. And as I got to know that community, I discovered that there was an elite private sports high school close by. I didn't check their academics or their coaching. I just knew that that's where my boy should be. Right? I'm sure I consulted my wife, but as I look back, my son wasn't too 
excited about that choice, but I was going to plow ahead down that road. It had the best sports pro program, maybe in California, maybe the United States. But I was late, and everything I did, he, he didn't get in. Okay? So I think he took that as a challenge. He said, I'm not going to go that way that dad was preparing me to go. I'm going to make my stand in my own high school with my own friends. And he did great. He actually earned a scholarship to play Division I college sports. Right, so as, as hard as I was plowing this road, he was making his own way. And I think we got lucky, right? Or maybe it was divine intervention. But that happens when we're parents, right? Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> but there are no guarantees. We, we can only do the best we can do as a parent. I had this mentor as I was a new Christian and a new parent. And I hope all of you parents have a mentor like this. He came alongside me in so many different ways. I hope you have somebody that's like that in your life that comes alongside you and speaks wisdom and truth and a lot of grace, because as parents, we need a lot of grace. And he said this. He said, we only do the very best we can do with our children, and then we turn them over to God. We only do the very best we can with our children, and then we turn them over to God. Okay, so this is audience participation time. I want everybody to take a deep breath. I don't see many lungs moving out there. Blow it out. Okay, and repeat after me. There are no perfect people. Okay, one more deep breath. Let it out up in the balcony. Okay, now repeat this one. There are no perfect parents. Feels better, doesn't it? I need to keep reminding myself of both of those all the time. So let's go to three ways we can prepare the child for their God-given destiny. Okay? I call these the straight A's. Not like you'll get straight A's if you do these, just that they all begin with A. So the first one, allow them to make mistakes and suffer the consequences. I know. Oh, you could see some cringing out there. Oh, I don't want my kids to make mistakes. I don't want my kids to fail. I want to just rush in there and rescue them. But the power in that statement is the second part. They have to suffer the consequences so they can learn from the mistake. I, I follow Jim Burns. You know Jim, who Jim Burns is? He's from Azusa Pacific. He's got a great um, source of materials online about parenting and kids and families and all that. And he told the story of a college student who got a D on a term paper. Called his mom up, told her she got mad. No way that is a D paper. Don't worry, I'll take it from here. Uh -oh. Revving up the helicopter, right? So she calls the university president like, I didn't even know they took those calls. But she called the university president, and she got mad. She said, there's no way that's a deep paper. I know for sure that's probably an A or a B. Something wrong with that professor. You better get back to him and then get back to me. So president called the professor. The professor said, that was probably being kind. It was probably an F paper. <laughs> so the president called mom back and gave her the even worse news. She went ballistic. 
right? No way that was a D paper or an F paper. I know for sure that was probably an A or B paper because I have my MBA for Stanford and I wrote that paper. <laughs> ah, the helicopter just circling around, huh? How's that boy ever gonna learn character in his life? How's he ever gonna stand up for himself? How's he ever gonna communicate with professors or future employers or future spouses? Oh, man, kills you. But I don't, I don't mean to, to say that you just let them suffer after they suffer the consequences. I don't mean that. Sure, you want to come alongside them. You always want to be alongside them, listening to them, discussing it, guiding them. I have a good friend. I've known him for almost 50 years, went to college with him. Good Christian man. He got this phone call one night from his daughter. Dad, you know that snowy mountain road? I wrecked the car. I'm okay, I'm okay, but the car's totaled, and I don't have any money to buy a new one, and I need my car for work. And Dad said, did you put the chains on like I told you to? She said, no, the snow came too quick. I didn't have a chance. Okay, then, you're on your own. And he hung up. Oh, I don't mean to be judgmental, and maybe she needed to learn that lesson. Maybe she needed to learn it a hundred times. But my point is, we don't want to be cold to our kids. We don't want to just set them free. We want to be right beside them. Sure, we want them to make that mistake. Well, maybe we don't want to make it, but we want them to learn from that mistake. Okay? Number two, allow them to make their own choices. Interesting. You can start small, like what they order in the restaurant when you go out. Believe me, eventually they will stop ordering the chocolate chip Mickey Mouse pancakes when they're, you know, 17 or 18, something like that. <laughs> and let them choose what they wear to school. Right? Don't pick out their outfits for them every morning. Their friends will let them know if they're looking a little dorky. <laughs> Don't worry, let, let, their, let their friends do a little bit of your work. Okay, now I've got two that might push your boundaries a little bit. Ready? Let them make their own friends. <gasps> Did he really say that? You should see the people my kids hang out with. Yeah, let them make their own friends. Not that you're not involved in that process. I remember when my, my daughter, who's 29 now, when she was in middle school, fifth, sixth grade, she'd come home after school and, and she and my wife Nancy would talk in the kitchen, kind of downloading the day. And at that age, for girls at least, a lot of those conversations were on friends. But my wife never said, well, she shouldn't be your friend or that person is probably a good friend. My wife just asked questions. Oh, would a good friend say that to you? Would a friend do that to you? Would a true friend really treat you that way? So my daughter began to figure out, oh, that's how you judge people. That's how you build some character in your friendships. That's when I'm not gonna let go of some friends. It was a great idea. The second one, I'm just gonna push that boundary a little further. Let them manage their own time. Oh, I know. Some of you are saying, my kids can't manage anything. Right? But I've been doing this research for this next book, and I read so many stories of these parents that want to manage every single second of their 
kids' lives, even when they get older and go to college. Hi, honey, 7 a.m. wake-up call. You've got that 8 a.m. class. Oh, geez. Hey, bud, how's it going? I want you to know it's exactly 30 days before that term paper is due. Have you started your research? Come on, how are they going to ever learn to manage all those things by themselves if you're hovering around in that helicopter? Okay, the third A. Always point them back to God. Always point them back to God. Parents, you want to be the best voice in your kid's ear because there'll be other voices that your kids will hear. The older they are, the more voices they'll hear. And they won't always be the best voice from friends or social media or all those other things. But there's an even better voice than yours. It's God's voice. Because there'll be times, and trust me on this, we've experienced this in our family, there'll be times when your kids will say something or do something that will hurt you badly as a parent. And your first reaction will be, I don't want to forgive them for that. I don't want to forgive them. But if they always know that God's available for them, he's often got a a unique way of correcting kids in that way. And if you go back, he'll, he'll teach you how to forgive them too. And there could be times in your parenting life when you're just not as accessible as you would like to be to your kids. Maybe your marriage is in trouble and you need to work on your marriage. And I hope, parents, that you're working as hard on your marriage as you are bringing your kids up. Because having kids can be tough on marriages, right? See Jack nodding his head down there, right? So they'll make mistakes and they'll make bad choices, but if they always can lean on God, he can help in any time. He'll be the man that can rescue them. You don't have to rescue them all the time. He's always going to be there. If you learn to prepare the child to follow their God's given destiny and to lean on God, he'll always be the best voice. If you want to be the best parent you can be, You want to have your children be the best version of what God intended them to be? Learn to lean on God. You want to be the best person you can be? Prepare yourself well as you prepared your children to listen to that distinct voice of God to lead you in his plan for your life. Amen? Okay. Thank you. Let's bring John back out. There he is. Thank you so much. Uh, We're going to have our prayer team available uh, as the band comes up to uh, lead us in a few songs of response. But let me lead us in a prayer. Would you bow your head with me? I just sense that in this room we have grandparents, we have parents that uh, are feeling tired, stressed, empty, frustrated, um, lost. And I want to just... I want to just say a, a prayer over you this morning. Maybe just open the palm of your hand if that's you. If you're a parent in the room, a grandparent, you're a parent of an older child, uh, somebody in their 20s or 30s, and you just your heart is aching for the adult they've become, just open the palm of your hand. Let me say a prayer for you. That's your act of faith to receive what God has. Kind Father, 
you see us and our kids. And you know us and you know our kids. And you love us and you love our kids. And right here, right now, in this place, we turn them over to you. You've given them to us to be stewards, to help them live a bigger story, a better story, the best version of themselves, their God-given destiny. We want to help them discover that. And give us courage to make hard choices. Give us patience when we're out of it. Give us tenderness when we feel uptight and harsh and ready to blow up. Oh God, we need your mercy and grace. And I pray for every parent in this room that you would strengthen them, sustain them, give them a vision, help them to begin with the end in mind and see the, the kind of adult they want to see their child grow up and become. My prayer is that all over this room this morning, we would raise up a generation of kids who commit to walk in your ways, to become the young men and women that you dream for them to become. May it be so. And may this morning be a marker in our lives for these young parents especially. The day that we made a shift away from snowplowing, helicoptering to walking alongside our kids in the way you want us to, the way that you walk alongside us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.